you cannot say that you do not have certain thoughts about people with certain bodies. You cannot say that you don't mm-hmm. haven't believed or internalized the messages around black bodies, disabled bodies, brown bodies, fat bodies, trans bodies. Like you can't. You just, I'm just going to, people are not honest if they say that, oh, I've been able to work through that, or I don't see people differently. That's just not true. So I think the first thing is to just admit that. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 259 with guest Melissa Toller. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it. Life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. As always, it is December, y'all, the last stretch of the year. And I know that this should be the time of year where I'm like, you know, It's your last chance to do all the things in 2018 that you wanted to do. I'm not that life coach. And sometimes I feel bad about it, but I'm like, ah, whatever. (laughs) Business as usual over here. I just feel like the pressure, right? The pressure of having to make these goals that you made in the beginning of 2018. I just feel like you have to figure out what works for you. If pressure feels best for you, then I know a lot of life coaches out there that are doing different things like last 90 days, last 30 days, last 30 seconds of the year, finish, do the thing. That's not me. If you want to do that, I will cheer you on. If you don't, that's okay. I'm over here drinking coffee recording a podcast episode for you just like regular and thinking about what's going to happen in 2019. I also don't do the word of the year. Do you do that? I love people that do that. I think that's so amazing that you can pick a word, one word, one word that you want to focus on for all of 2019 or the new year, whatever. And it's like your theme. I want to have a theme song, which I don't even think I could commit to. I might have like a different song for every month, or maybe I could commit to like one one per quarter, but I could not do one for the whole year. And I could not do a word. I tried that once. It was really popular back in like 2012. And I was like, yeah, I'm on board. I'm going to do it. I don't, I think I forgot what it was like a week later. And then I just, maybe it's just my personality. I'm like, I cannot commit to such things. I'm onto the next thing. And very much in the, on the Colby index, I'm a quick start. And I'm just like, Fly by the seat of my pants with some fire under it. That's how I roll. But if you're the person who can stick to a theme of the year, I think that's rad. It's sort of like, I'm assuming it would be really one of your values, which I'm very passionate about. If you want to pick that word and and really focus on it and think about what that means to you, what does that look like? What kind of woman would you need to be to really show up and embody that word? Uh, I know, you know, I've had friends and colleagues who've picked words like pleasure or focus or discipline, which I would probably have some follow-up questions if that's your word, but (laughs) yeah, to each her own. And if you want to do that, by all means, find what works for you. Personally, that's not how I, it's just like kind of another month. 
And yeah, that's how it is over here. Very excited to introduce you to Melissa today. I've been following her on social media for a while now, and I love her story, her transition from kind of one messaging to another that you'll hear about. And I just love what she has to say. She's a really amazing writer as well. So I highly encourage you to go out and check out her blog. And before I jump into this conversation, I just want to, a couple of things, like it, it is also a shout out and a tribute, if you will, because over the last few months, I have had the complete honor of taking a small group of women through life-changing work. It's called The Mentorship. You may have heard me talking about it over the summer when I was enrolling. And coming up in 2019, I will be offering it again with some slight variations. Long story short, it's only taken me eight years to realize that facilitating these types of groups that are small, that are intimate, with deep transformational work, is my absolute zone of genius. And these women in this particular group, they are setting boundaries. They are speaking up for themselves. They're practicing self-compassion instead of beating themselves up and going down the to comparing and despairing. They're starting new businesses or getting better jobs. They're cheering each other on and themselves. They're making rich new friendships and asking for help. Basically, they are living their version of their own kick-ass life. And a new group is rolling out in the new year, which includes a two-day workshop retreat here at my house, y'all, so you can come and meet my dog. And we don't have a page set up just yet for it, but if you want to be one of the first, I'm limiting it to the amount of women that can come in, and two women have already had calls with me and are likely yeses. So if you want an application and a call with me to see if it's for you, just shoot an email to support at yourkickasslife.com with the word application in the subject line and Emily will help you out and get it rolling on that. So let me tell you a little bit about Melissa before we jump in. Melissa Toller is a speaker, writer, and educator. Her work encourages people to make the connection between our culture's oppressive beauty standards and our personal struggle with self-acceptance. She has written extensively on diet culture and the toll it takes on our lives and humanity. Her goal is to help people unlearn harmful messages and behaviors from years of chronic dieting. Melissa also has a background as a pharmacist and certified wellness coach. So without further ado, y'all, here is Melissa. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. I am excited to have you here. I've been following your work online and on social media for a while now, and I love everything that you have to say, and I'm so glad that I'm getting the chance to talk to you. And I've, I, you and I have a, have a similar-ish story about being in the kind of fitness and wellness industry mm. and then making a pivot, you know, <laughs> it sounds like yours was like a kind of a sharp right turn. My, mine was as well, but your former wellness coach <laughs> turned speaker, writer, and educator. So tell us about, and if I be, if I may be so bold, what was it about the wellness industry that you couldn't stand anymore? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I started off, um, being a health and wellness coach. I got my certification back in 2013, I believe. And what led me to that was I had been doing two years prior to that. I started to do fitness competitions. Oh, wow, um, I didn't know that about you. 
Yes. Uh, starting in 2011, I started to do fitness competitions. And, and for those who don't know what those are, it's essentially a Miss America pageant with muscles where we stand on stage all oiled up in a sparkly, shiny swimsuit that you can't swim in. And so a lot of body and food preparation goes into that. It's Mm -hmm. basically a bodybuilding contest anyway. So when I was in the midst of that, I just, and I think this happens to a lot of people, you want to, like you're in the midst of constantly watching what you eat, being educated about what you eat and exercising. And, and so I thought I wanted to be, become a, um, a personal trainer. And then I discovered this thing called health and wellness coaching and, uh, took a course, a six month course and got certified in that. And, you know, initially I loved it because it was a way of, I I love coaching. I absolutely believe in Mm -hmm. the power of coaching and I thought I was good at it. And I did it for maybe two or three years. And over time, I just became a little disillusioned with the health and wellness industry, right? The more I became educated about just about the world in general, I know that sounds really vague, but just the more educated (laughs) I became. I think my audience knows what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I, I just became more aware of the potential harm that I was doing with my messaging uh-huh. and even just my coaching. And so, um, and we'll probably get deeper into that. So I just was like, I don't know if I really want to do this. Am I really helping people or am I perpetuating something that is harmful? Mm-hmm. And then when I really started to take a, a good look at the health and wellness industry, even, and I'm not even talking about like diet industry, I'm talking about people who, explicitly say what they're selling is not a diet, but they're concerned about people's health and wellness and they want to help people, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about that group. It felt like a a lot of people were being left out of the conversation about health and wellness. And the definition of health was very privileged and narrow. And I just was like, I can't be a part of this anymore. It just doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't know how to work with this. And so I stopped um, being a health and wellness coach and started to really focus on writing. Well, I, I love that story. It just, it speaks to my soul. And as someone who was in the health and wellness industry, I, it's where I, it's what I went to college for. And I still, I'm, I feel, I don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm having this weird breakup, tumultuous relationship with the fitness industry, because I think you're talking about two different things when you're talking about your own personal health and wellness slash fitness, and then the the wellness industry as a whole. Don't you feel like it's absolutely different conversations? I do want to say, yes, I agree that the conversation about the fitness, wellness, health industry is different than our own individual fitness and health. And for me, that was that was for a while, like a point of confusion and contention. Yeah. I was, I also really struggled with, with like, how do we have both? Yes. Yes. So it's like, is it wrong? Like, yeah, I I totally know what you're saying. Um, for me, that was a point of confusion and, and I, I feel like I'm still kind of working through that. Yeah. You know, when I was taking that critical look at the health and wellness industry and the images and messages that were a part of that, 
we're reinforcing the larger culture's um, standards around beauty and what it means to be beautiful and normal and human. And what I saw, and I think everybody will agree with me, when we look at images of um, health and wellness, they're almost always represented by a young or youngish thin, able-bodied uh, white woman. Right. And almost always she's doing some sort of yoga. Was that you that posted on Instagram recently or was that someone else that I follow that said, just do yourself a favor and Google just the word yoga and click on images? Was that you? Oh, no, no, that wasn't me. It was someone no. else that I follow that that speaks the same thing that you do. And I did it and I was like, holy shit, y'all. They're not joking. And I, I'm sure this doesn't come as a surprise to you, but I think it just, it's still like, oh my God, yes. To to just, yes, anybody listening, just do a quick Google search, just the word yoga and click on images and see what comes up. Yeah. It's definitely and even, not diverse. No, it's not. And even health and wellness, it's always a yoga pose, a green smoothie. Like it's, it's very similar to images um, from the diet industry, which is why I don't really see the, like the mainstream health and wellness industry to be very different from the diet industry. The the messages are pretty much the same in my mind. Yeah. So you have been going on this journey. And so today, how do you challenge the cultural standards of, of beauty and wellness? So, you know, I, a lot of my work, just my like professional work, um, and just my personal inner work is done through writing. Um, but it's also done through connecting with people online, honestly, like social media, I know sometimes gets a bad rap, but I have made a ton of incredible connections with people who are doing similar work from different angles and making me think about, um, different things. And, um, you know, when I started to really take this critical look at diet culture and even the health and wellness industry a couple, maybe like two years ago is when I really started to, to write extensively about it, um, personally, and then also putting some stuff out there, I could look and see just how, how we are sold images and messages of health and wellness and how it leaves people out of the conversation with regard to what's beautiful and with regard to what's healthy and what it means to be well in one's life. Uh And, and I was just like, this is bullshit because why doesn't everyone deserve to be there? Whatever their definition of healthy and well and beautiful. Why, why don't we all deserve to have that? And so I, you know, when I saw that tons of people are just being left out of that conversation. And, and the bigger issue for me was, I think this was also a turning point. So it's, it's one, you know, people are being left out of the conversation, um, and the definition of what it means to be beautiful, healthy, and well, but then the emphasis that we place on those things and the way that we attach a human being's worth to those things really made me, like take a step back and say, okay, this is like serious stuff. It's not just about these images and on Instagram and in a magazine. It's what we make those mean about us as human beings. That is really the problem. It's, oh yes, to everything. And, you know, you mentioned the word hierarchy and I, 
I, I had that realization as well of, of, of like, okay, we as a culture and a society have created this sort of gold standard of what it means to be just worthy in general, but then also what it means to be at the top of our quote unquote fitness game, to be in peak physical condition. And at the top of that list are having a six pack. Yes. <laughs> When I realize what I have to do in order to have a six pack, I don't, I don't want it bad enough. And, (laughs) and for, for what, so I can take pictures of it and put it on Instagram to be honest with you, Melissa, like that would be the reason that I would have a six pack (laughs) to have a photo shoot. And so I could do that for, for, it it became more of like, what will people think of me rather than like, why, why is having a six pack important to you? And this is not to, and this is such a hard, difficult conversation because every time I talk about this on my podcast, every time I get pushback and people saying, but I want to be in my best physical shape. I went, and I think, I think this is fine. I would love to hear what you have to say about this. But one of the biggest questions I've been asking myself as I am thinking about like, what do I need to do to get a six pack? What do I need to do this to do that? I asked myself the question, either who is profiting off of me thinking this way or trying to be this way and, or who is benefiting from me trying to be this way? Because most of the time it sure shit ain't me. Mm-hmm. It's somebody mm-hmm. else. And it's usually like some white dude at the top who's yes. making a lot of money. I mean, we can talk about alcohol and women. We can talk about dieting and, and on and on and on. What do you think? Yeah. You know, you said that you get a lot of, um, when you have conversations like this, you get a lot of feedback that people are, are saying, you know, well, I just want to be in my best shape. Or they, they, they have, they are, they don't feel like that they're at the weight that their body wants to be. They genuinely have gained weight for unhealthy reasons because of a a sedentary lifestyle or or whatever. And they genuinely want to lose the weight that I can understand. And that's sort of like where I was circling back to the conversation of it's a personal endeavor that people have versus a conversation about diet culture at large. Yes. And we have to connect the two, right? Because, because diet culture is so pervasive, like when you start to really pay attention, you'll notice weight loss or smaller bodies or negative conversations around fat bodies are everywhere. They're on the news, they're in magazines, they're in everyday conversation. So we can't disconnect that larger cultural fact from our desire to lose weight. Like we just can't disconnect that. So that's one thing. But I I firmly believe that people can feel free to do whatever they want to do with their bodies. I absolutely believe in that. I'm not saying that you should not want to lose weight. My whole purpose is, is for me, but also for, um, for a lot of people to just like start to question some of these messages that we get about bodies and how it affects our relationship with ourselves, but also our relationship with our fellow human beings. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a serious thing to me. So I, I get that people want to quote unquote, want to be in the best shape of their lives. And almost always that, that matches up with the societal ideal of what that means. Yeah. And And oftentimes people aren't given the space or even the permission to make that, like to define that for themselves, right? It it has to match this thing that has been sold to us as 
the perfect way to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you have a blog post. You're such an amazing writer and I encourage everybody to go to melissatiller.com and and read your blog and subscribe for your updates. And I love your writing because you get straight to the point. You don't (laughs) mince words. I love that. I don't want to read a bunch of fluff, like where someone's just going for a word count. Um, But there's this one particular post that you wrote that I love, and I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. It's called the not so obvious problem with dieting. I'm going to just read an excerpt because I love it so much. You say, you say diet culture uses the fear of fatness to reinforce a hierarchy of bodies. And for people who are constantly pushed out into the margins because of race, gender, ability, or sexuality, our cultural obsession with weight can complicate things. And can, can you speak more to that and g- give people kind of a gist? I know I didn't, I didn't prepare you for this ahead of time. Some, I, oh, okay. I, sometimes people ask me about writing that I've done like two years ago and I'm like, I don't remember what I wrote. Can you remind me? <laughs> so if you need me to pause and like t- give you the link, I, no, I can do that. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. You remember. Um, so I do remember. And what I, what I mean by that is, um, the pressure to conform and assimilate to a certain body size adds on to the other ways that black people, trans people, disabled people, um, are told that their bodies are wrong and need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's just another layer there that, um, reinforces the standard of, trying to achieve something that you are not because you are inherently you and your body are inherently wrong and need to be altered in some way. Yeah. Meet up to this standard. So it's, it's just like a pylon to me. That's what it's, it's felt like to me where, and I I wrote something similar. Um, I think last year, uh, I think the title of it was looking for myself in someone else's body. And it was about the way that, um, you know, the health and wellness, uh, ads and, and industry at large is reinforces the, the lens of whiteness that we see everything through. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I think back to all of the times that I have used images to inspire and motivate me to lose weight, those have been images of young, thin, able-bodied, white women. And so I was trying to find myself in a body that is not mine and can never be mine. And you know what, now that I'm in, I'm connected to quite a few, uh, people through social media where like trans people, disabled people who talk also about internalized fat phobia and how, and how fat hatred within our society just compounds, whatever the already existing issues we may have around our bodies not being accepted as being normal. Yeah. All of, all of that. I was getting my degree in exercise physiology sort of like at the, at the heated peak of the quote unquote obesity epidemic epidemic when it was a really big deal in Mm -hmm. the news and in the media and, you know, passing laws to protect people. Uh, and I'm using air quotes. Um, yes. and so I was immersed in it. I was absolutely positively immersed in it. And it was of course, always from this righteous place of we're going to help these people make their lives better. And I, I, I felt something uncomfortable a few years into my work in the fitness industry, but I couldn't put my finger on it. 
And I truly believe that that was it. You know, we did very little studying about the health at health at every size. I, I distinctly remember reading one study out of many, many, many. If you get a degree in science, you know, you read so many journal articles. Yes. Um, and one of them, we might have been more, but I only remember one specifically about, they did a study where they tested the, the, the fitness of people who were considered overweight and, you know, out of the BMI standards. And th- sure enough, they were healthy. They were sometimes mm-hmm. healthier than the people who were thinner. And I was like, what? <laughs> this goes against everything I know to be true. But I, I mean, I, but, but again, of all, there was one study out of many years of, of studying things that said, no, that thinness is the, um, is the goal. Mm-hmm. And to be thin was the, uh, you know, that was the gold standard for fitness and wellness. My next question is, in your opinion, for people who work in the health and wellness field, how do you think that they can shift their education and the topics that they speak on to just speak more about this, this, you know, kind of mm. pink elephant in the room? Yeah. So that's one of the places I've been putting my energy to is, um, like working with health and wellness practitioners, professionals on this. And I am by no means an expert. I think, like I mentioned before, a lot of my work is helping folks to use writing as a tool because I use writing as a tool to unpack and unlearn all of this stuff. And so what I think, what I'd love to see more health and wellness professionals do is just first, like take a step back and question if what you're doing is actually helping or potentially harming your clients, are you prioritizing your expertise over their lived experience? Do you feel like you have to come in swoop down and save them? Are you being more of a savior instead of a partner? So those are things that those are the ways that we can, that we tend to replicate these oppressive systems in our own business in the name of helping people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the first thing is to just start questioning, like asking really tough questions of yourself and the practices in your business. Uh, Is your business inclusive? And do you know what that means? And how are you making changes in your business around that? Are you using um, fat phobia to sell your products and services? Yeah. So so just some things I think people can start to examine in themselves. Um, yeah. Well, in, in regards to, to fat phobia, I, I feel like that might be, I think the majority of my listeners probably know what that is and, um, but some might be new to it. I encourage you to Google it, just do a, a, what is fat phobia? There's probably some great YouTube tutorials on it. I'm sure that there's some, some advocates and activists out there who can explain it much better than, than I can. And it's personally something that I am unpacking. I posted about, uh, Tess Holiday on Instagram and oh my gosh, the, the comments on that one really Uh threw me for a loop, Melissa. I just, I've talked about it before on the podcast and it really opened my eyes. Uh, and one of my friends said, well, you can't expect to post something that controversial and get, get, you know, some comments, (laughs) some spirited (laughs) comments. That's what I'll call them. But I did ask, there was a call to action in the post and I asked people to drop links or resources in the comments 
of things that they are learning that are helping them unpack any of their internal biases, whether it's about, um, you know, fat phobia or race or ableism, sexism, all of those things. And I, I had out of, I don't know, 70 comments, I had exactly one person do that. Everyone else wanted to tell me how concerned they were over this girl's um, body size, or um, it just, it really, it kind of shook me just like, whoa, this is a bigger deal than I thought it was. And it was interesting to me because in unpacking my own fat phobia, I, I try my best to listen to podcast episodes and follow people on social media who are leading the way in that movement. One of one of the podcast episodes that was really interesting to me was by Lindy West. And she was saying, she was on NPR and she was saying, you know, she's lived her life as a fat woman. And she said, people seem to only accept me. And I'm paraphrasing. People seem to only accept me when I am in the process of losing weight, of trying to lose weight. That's when I am a good fat person. I'm not if I just am fat. That blew me away. I was like, whoa, that's true. Yeah, because the expectation is that she should always be trying to fix her fatness. Yes. And and I also want to say with regard to your post about the response that you got to your post about Tess Holiday and how you got 70 comments of people being quote unquote Or they were mad at her about she she made a mistake, something with like screwing people out of shipping them something. People were mad about that. I was like, okay, can you stick to the topic? People are mad about a lot of stuff, but <laughs> what what I will tell people is you you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest that we have all lived in this culture where we have been taught to value bodies in a certain way, right? right? We cannot say unless we have done, even if we have done decades of work, you cannot say that you do not have certain thoughts about people with certain bodies. You cannot say that you don't mm-hmm. haven't believed or internalized the messages around black bodies, disabled bodies, brown bodies, fat bodies, trans bodies. Like you can't, you just, I'm just going to people are not honest if they say that, Oh, I've been able to work through that. Or I don't see people differently. That's just not true. Right. So I think the first thing is to just admit that. Right. And, and take a look at how, you are contributing to the harm done or perpetuating those harmful messages and images in your personal life and also in your business, especially if you are in the business of helping people feel better about themselves or get quote unquote, quote, healthy. To me, that's a really important part to acknowledge that we all have internalized a certain way of thinking about bodies. Yes, we have. And, you know, I've been on this journey for like, I don't know, five minutes. Um, (laughs) So I definitely am not the expert. And I I so value conversations like these and following people like you on social media that are that are also doing their own work and, and helping lead the way. And there are some really great books. I will pop some links into the show notes. And this is not at all to talk about like, oh, what a great white person I am. It's, it's, I know that there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and I have said it before and I will say it again. I can't sit here and talk to you all about personal development, 
and, you know, curing your, your managing your negative self-talk and feeling like you're enough when we're not also talking about the systems of oppression that are keeping us all down. And that's why I talk about diet culture. That's why I talk about white supremacy and patriarchy and feminism and, and all of these things that are still still very much something that I am unlearning 43 years of messaging and programming and being socialized to be a certain way. And I appreciate being called in in moments. And Melissa, if I've said anything here, that's, that's <laughs> please do so. It, it's just, we are living in a world right now that I believe for the most part, I hope, where people are done not having the conversation. And it is up to people like me to to do that. So kind of side note for everyone who might be newer to the podcast. And, and so, you know, when we're talking about the ways that we are perpetuating harm in our personal lives and in our business, I think it's just important to recognize that it's something that we were probably always going to do. Like this work of unpacking and unlearning is honestly, it's lifelong work, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I realized this when I saw this quote from Sonia Renee Taylor, who has been doing this work for um, a long time. She's the first person I heard use the term body terrorism. And she's also the author of the book, um, The Body is Not an Apology. And, um, so she, this is this quote from her, which I think is spectacular to bring forth the world. We say we want, we must be willing to constantly look at how we are replicating these systems of body terrorism in all that we do. Not if we are, but how, because we always are. And so when you are a person who is running a business or doing something where you want to change the world and you want to create this new world, this is something that we always have to be looking at. And I thought that was a powerful quote from Sonia Renee Taylor, a person who has been neck deep in this work for years and is still saying that she is part of that we who is replicating these systems of body terrorism. This work goes on. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I catch myself every once in a while. I'm sure it's happening more than the times that I catch myself just with my own internalized misogyny. And oh, my, uh, yes. <laughs> it oh, just, yes. it is in, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it's in my bones. And yep. um, yeah. Okay. All right. I, I want to, I don't want to I don't want to part with you without asking you to tell the story about your, we're kind of coming full circle here, sharing your weight loss obsession and, and the story and, and how, I mean, you kind of already answered it, but I just like would like in your own words, what was it like for you? And, and how did you, was there kind of a, a, like a big turning point where you moved past it? Or was it a slow process? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, like most people who've been socialized as girls and women, weight loss was a big part of my life. Like Mm -hmm. it was the thing that I was supposed to almost always be doing. And so I think it started when I was about 11 and continued on. And, and I was either always on a diet or falling off of one one or rebelling because I had been on one. Like my, a lot of my life had been um, focused on changing my body to meet the, to, yeah, to look like the images that were in the 17 magazine that I got every month or, um, in health magazines and shape and self and all of those magazines. And then here comes social media where I'm able to see it on my phone in my hand all the time. So, 
it was just this ongoing obsession, really. I never had um I'd never had an eating disorder. Um, but like most people, I did engage in a lot of disordered eating, which is, you know, one of the cornerstones of yes. dieting. Mm-hmm. Where we alter the way that we eat specifically to change our bodies. And a lot of times it's really not normal, even though it is normalized. Um, and so, you know, I did this off and on for years and, and honestly, the, one of the reasons I started to do fitness competitions was because I thought it would be a quick way for me to lose weight. I mean, mm-hmm. if I'm being really honest, I did like the performance aspect of it. I absolutely have loved that, but my a big driver was so that I could lose weight. And so, you know, as I started to, you know, I was uh, in fitness competitions for a while and then I did the wellness coaching thing. And then I just got connected with people on social media who were discussing health at every size and intuitive eating. And it's, it allowed me to reflect on my own experience with dieting and with weight. And I was just like, you know, this, having weight loss as a focus of your life for decades, just, Mm. it just doesn't feel good. Right. It doesn't feel. And then I would see other women online, like telling their stories and it just made me sad and enraged at it. Like, and I was just like, this just, mm." Mm -hmm. so I was like this, I don't want to do this anymore. I do not want to do this. And so it was a sort of a slow turning point. And I think the big step that I made was through my writing. I think in, back in 2016, I wrote a post about why I, I no longer sell weight loss. Mm-hmm. That was sort of my coming out about why this is not the focus of my personal life anymore. And it's not the focus of my business life anymore. And so I've just sort of been on, on that trajectory since then, um, with getting, having more reflection on, you know, not just the diet industry and not just, um, weight, but also other ways that we devalue and value, um, bodies in this culture. Yes, to all that. Oh, I'm so glad I had you on. And and for those of you that have made it through this, I would love for you to pop into the show notes to grab a few things. Uh, go read Melissa's blog. That's going to be in the show notes, as well as a couple other episodes I would like you to listen to. If you haven't listened to the two-part episodes I did with my friend Kate Anthony, where mm-hmm. we unpack our own diet culture stuff, I have a series called um, Conversations with Shit That Matters with Unqualified People. So it's not a teaching episode. <laughs> it's more of just you know us talking about our own stuff with diet culture, as well as I had Ali Shapiro on who talks about, you know, this from a, from a clinical standpoint, how do we, how do we balance the two of actually losing weight and getting healthy for our own legitimate health? And at the same time, really taking a hard critical look at diet culture. So Melissa, please tell people how, where's the, where's the one place that you want to send them where they can find out more of you, find out your offerings and things like that. Yes. I, everything, um, that I have written is at melissatoller.com. Excellent. And of course that link is in the show notes and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa, for being here so much. Anything else that you want to say to close up before, before we say goodbye? Well, thank you for having me. And I just want to say again, that this, we all have unlearning to do. It's, it's really a lifelong 
process. It is just like personal development. It's all, it's all very, very similar. And as always listeners, I'm so grateful for your time. I know that you can't get it back. And so I'm so grateful that you choose to spend it every week with me and my guests. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey there, Ask Kickers. If you are still with me, that tells me you are a loyal listener of the show. Thank you so very much for that. Second, there are two ways that you can support the show if you're feeling so inclined. The first one is that you can leave a rating and review, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a rating and review helps me so much. The second is you can support the show over on Patreon. Over there, there is a way for you to get your questions answered on listener Q&A episodes, suggest topics that you want me to riff on here, and suggest guests that you would like to have on the show, as well as other giveaways and things that I do over there. Head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL to check it out.